All right, well, good morning to everyone and welcome to the well here at STSA. Thank you for tuning in here today. You are on the final week of a journey that we began back at the start of Lent called First in Faith, where we are looking at one of these supermen when it comes to our Christian faith, one of the supermen when it comes to the Bible and the biblical saints and the characters, and that is Abraham. And tonight, not tonight, today, it's dark in here, sorry, today we're going to be wrapping up our journey by seeing with Abraham, as we've seen from the start of Abraham's life to the very end, Abraham's life is test after test after challenge after challenge after trial after trial, and it's just one difficult situation after another. And what we're going to see today, not tonight, today is the greatest of all of those challenges which leads to the greatest of all of the blessings. And today is the story of what makes Abraham, Abraham. We're going to read about when he was challenged to offer up his son Isaac, who he just finally received last week. And the, the way that I liken Abraham's life to, okay, forgive the dumb analogy, but I'm a child of the 1980s and early 90s, and we used to play a game back in the day, the greatest game of all mankind called Super Mario Brothers. Super Mario Brothers fans? All right, very good. So Super Mario Brothers really taught you everything you need to know about life, and that's as, as follows. Is that in life, like in the game, you start off in level 1-1, okay? And then you go through the little mushroom and you jump over the thing, you step on the guy, and then you get to 1-2, then you get to 1-3, then you get to 1-4, and 1-4 is the? The castle, okay? Remember the castle? And at the end of the castle was the dragon whose name was? Bowser, very good. You're showing how old you are, very good, all right? And at the end, you had to get past Bowser, and Bowser was more challenging than all the rest of them. If you died in 1-3, you started back at 1-1. If you died in 1-2, you started back at 1-1. If you die anywhere prior to Bowser, you go back to 1-1. But if you beat Bowser in 1-4, where do you go? 2-1. And then you start on a whole new 2-1, 2-2, 2-3, and at the end of 2-4 is another Bowser, somehow he keeps coming back to life, okay, somehow, okay, he was miraculous, kind of a dragon. But the point is, is at the end of every section was a challenge, and the challenge became increasingly more difficult, but it also took you to a higher level. Well, I believe the same is true in our spiritual journey, and we see that clearly with Abraham, that God gives Abraham a challenge, a hard challenge, and then a really hard one, and then when Abraham gets past it, it opens the door to a new plane of life. And then Abraham kind of lives in this area for a while, and he thinks he's done, and then he faces another challenge, and then when he, faces, when he defeats that challenge, again, the next plane. I think this is how God works in life, all right? That the challenges are there to get us to higher levels. And that's why I'm going to remind you of our main lesson, okay? Our main lesson that we talked about in week one of this series, I'm going to remind you of it today because we're going to see it ever so clearly today. The main lesson of this series, First in Faith, is that the reward of faith always outweighs the cost, but it never precedes it. The reward always outweighs the cost, hands down without a shadow of a doubt. The reward of faith always outweighs the cost, but it never precedes it. And what we see with Abraham, Abraham wasn't a superman. Abraham had his weaknesses. We've seen several of his weaknesses. He made mistakes. He struggled at times. He had doubts at times. But what we see with Abraham, clearly, he was always willing to pay the price. He was always willing to walk in obedience to what God asked him to do, knowing that the reward will outweigh it, even though it will not precede it. And if that meant separate from his land, he separated from his land. I know God has a reward. That meant leave his father, leave his father. That meant offer up Ishmael, offer up Ishmael. Whatever it was, he was willing to pay the price, knowing that the reward would outweigh, even though it would not precede. And I believe the same is available, made available to me and you. I don't think Abraham was anything special in the sense that God wants to give us the same as he wants to give Abraham. But we must be willing to do what Abraham did. And this is kind of our theme verse. We looked at it the first week and kind of seen it throughout. Second Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And we talked about it in week three or four, I can't remember, about how the word whose heart is loyal to him doesn't mean perfect, doesn't mean flawless, doesn't mean doesn't make mistakes. What it means is an undivided heart. Abraham said, my heart, I will serve the Lord. No matter how difficult it may be, whatever he says, I will do it. I will trust, I will obey, no matter what it is. And he saw many challenging times, but because his heart was undivided, he received a great blessing. And the Lord showed himself strong on his behalf. And today, 
we're going to see the greatest of all those challenges. We're going to see the climax of Abraham's life when he is challenged to offer up his son Isaac on top of a mountain. And we're going to see in Genesis chapter 22. But before we do, I'm going to do something kind of special today, something I don't usually do, but I didn't think it was, I couldn't do this any other way. One of the things that I try to do here in the well, even though we're trying to talk about a Bible study, we look at a Bible character or a Bible passage, I rarely go verse by verse, okay? Because I feel like, you know, there's a lot and we could spend a lot of time in kind of the, the nuts and bolts. So usually what I do is I kind of aggregate the verses and, and, and get principles and summarize the story and fill in the gaps. But today, I'm going to do something a little bit different. We're going to go verse by verse through Genesis chapter 22, and we're not going to stop at every single verse, at least not for long, but we're going to go verse by verse because there's just so much gold inside there. So be patient with me today. We're just going to kind of open up our Bibles. I know you don't have your Bible. I'll put it up on the screen, and we're just going to go verse by verse, and we're going to see lesson after lesson, but it's all centered around this theme that the cost of faith, I'm sorry, the reward of faith outweighs the cost, but it never precedes it, and we're going to see how Abraham faced it, the cost, okay, and received the rewards. The other thing that I did today is if you picked up a handout, okay, usually I put some blanks in there for you to fill in, no blanks, okay, because I'm just going to go and I'm just going to give principles and share stuff from this passage verse by verse, and I didn't want to trust that you wouldn't make a mistake on any of them, so I filled them in for you, okay, so easy day here today, all right, but let's go and let's try to go deep into this passage. We're going to go to Genesis 22. Last week we read Genesis 21, where Ishmael I'm sorry, where Isaac was born, and then God said, Ishmael has to go. That was Genesis 21. We finished that last week. We're going to start Genesis 22. The context of Genesis 22, 15 to 20 years have elapsed since last chapter. So last chapter we met, Isaac is born, Abraham's on top of the world, and now 15 to 20 years later. So before we read, what do you think those 15 to 20 years looked like in the house of Abraham. What was euphoria? Okay, that, that's a great word, the best word I could, I was gonna say ecstasy. I was gonna say joy. I was gonna say elation. Everything that Abraham had been waiting for his entire life was now right in front of him. Like we started this journey back in Genesis 12 and the whole point was to get to Isaac. That's all Abraham wanted. And in order to get there, he had to leave his land. Get rid of the parents, okay, uh, to, 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 to do the circumcision thing. Get rid of Ishmael. Like, it was all waiting to this point. The reason he did the Hagar thing was to get to this point. The reason he left the land was to get to this point. The reason he protected, he tried to protect Sarah from the famine was to get to this point. And now he's got it. How do you think Isaac was raised in this household? Let me give you some facts. This is a Middle Eastern man. This is not just the son. This is the only son, the only child that he waited 100 years for. I don't think Isaac did a single chore in his life. I think every day was Thanksgiving for the boy with the, from the, what the mother was making. I think the day that the latest sandals came out on the internet, the boy had him. Okay? This is the most spoiled boy. This was one of those, everything is perfect right now, God, don't touch anything moments. Everything is perfect. This is what I wanted. I wanted the boy. And I wanted it from Sarah. I didn't think it was a possibility. Now I got Sarah. Now I got Isaac. I don't need anything else. Life is perfect right now. Don't touch anything, God. And then, Genesis 22, verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And your immediate thought is, if you're Abraham, oh, no. What now? Every time God came calling, it was problems. It was leave your land. Get rid of your father. Circumcise yourself and everyone in your household. Get rid of Ishmael. Every single time God called, it was something bad happened. And this begins by saying that God came calling in order to do what to him? God wanted to do what? To test him. Now, come on. Like, come on. Again? Another test? Like, the first 75 tests weren't enough? Like, what test has Abraham not passed? Like, enough, God. Like, the guy's proven everything. Like, the guy is now more than 115 years old. Enough with the tests. Like, you test a guy in his 20s, his 30s, his 40s, his 50s. 
Like 70s, 80s, 90s, 100, he has a baby. He's now 115. Like enough with the test. There's no more room in the two, number two pencil. Like it's over. The testing is done. This is what I'm saying. We're going to go verse by verse, and I'm just going to shout out some principles and lessons that we're going to learn because we're going to see lots of them. It's going to be kind of rapid repeat. The first lesson I already kind of alluded to. The next test. Why does God give another test? Why does God give another test? This is so important that you have to know this because you're going to be tested. The next test is given to take us to the next level. The next test is for the sake of the next level. God tests Abraham again. Why Abraham or why God again? Because there's still another level. And we look at it from the cost perspective. I can't take another test. And God looks at it from the reward perspective of, I want to get you to another level. Just like in school, just like I said with the Bowser example, but just like in school, every time you go to a higher level of school, you have to pass a harder test. So you have to pass a test to go from kindergarten to first grade. You have to pass a harder test to go to second grade. You got to pass a harder test to go to eighth grade. Pass a harder test to go to high school. Harder test to go to medical school. The hardest, hardest test to go to preschool. Okay, obviously. Okay, like you got to keep going up the ranks. And every time you go to a higher level, you must pass a higher test. Same thing is true with Abraham here. What if I don't want to go to a higher level? I don't want to go to a higher level. I'm very happy at this level. This level is very comfortable. I got everything I need at this level. The problem here is luckily Abraham, not like us. The problem here with us, the problem is we don't know what we don't know. I remember back 17 years ago, okay, my wife and I just got married, actually approaching 18 years of marriage. Both of us was working as consultants. Pretty easy lives, okay? Consultant back in the late 90s and the early 2000s, I mean, we did nothing. Like, we literally did nothing. Like, I, I learned how to juggle, okay, in my two years of consulting, because that's the great f- claim to fame, is that I learned how to taught myself how to juggle, okay? We did nothing. And then God came and challenged us to go to a higher level. And the higher level is priesthood. Now on the surface, I was pretty content. I was newlywed. I was making good money. My wife was making good money. Like, I was pretty content. And I would have said, no, thank you. But God wasn't content because God knew what I didn't know. That's our problem. We don't know what we don't know. God knew that while consultant life was easier Priest life is better because priest life is more. And now you could say more what? More blessing, more impact, more joy, more good stuff that lasts beyond just this afternoon, this evening, and this weekend. I couldn't have seen that, but thankfully, I was smart enough, or at least maybe you say dumb enough, okay, you call it however you want. I was dumb enough to say, okay, God, you calling? I say, yes, sir. If you'd have asked Abraham at the start of the story, knowing the character of Abraham, we've been studying him for now for the past five weeks. If you'd asked Abraham at the start of the story, even not the start of the story, two chapters ago, Abraham, you got Ishmael. You content? Yeah, I'm fine. Abraham, life is peaceful at home with Sarah. That's fine. Like Abraham never really complained. He only complained once when he said, God, when am I going to have a child? But other than that, Abraham would have been like, you know what? I'm happy in Ur with my parents. Like life was kind of good right here. And then he ended up with his parents in a different city. Okay, I'm okay here. Like Abraham was content and Abraham was fine. But thankfully, God was not. And God said, Abraham, I got more for you. And God says to each and every single one of us, I got more blessing for you. I got more joy for you. And if you remember what the name Isaac means, Isaac means what? Laughter. I have more laughter for you. Like you may be smiling today, but I want to give you true, like I said, ecstasy, true laughter in life. But you got to trust me. And I love this verse from Psalm 34, verse 8 through 10. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. And the word blessed can also be translated happy. Okay, blessed or happy or content or joyful is the man who trusts in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. For the young lions lack and suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Looking back, Abraham was content. But looking back from where we are today, Abraham says, you know what? I'm so glad that God was not content. I was content. I wouldn't ask for more. But I'm so thankful that God was not content. And I say the same thing about my life. So here's Abraham. 
content, the boy, Sarah, spoiled, everything is great. God comes knocking. Abraham, how would you respond if you were Abraham? Most of us would be like, what? Okay, you know how you, know how you pretend sometimes you don't hear God? You know that? Okay, when you pretend you don't hear God, when like God is clearly working in your life and like all the signs are in your face and you're like, what? You know what I mean? But not Abraham. Watch what Abraham says. Genesis 22. And he said, here I am. We're not gonna spend too much time on this, but I just love this answer. Here, I don't think there's anything God would have ever said to Abraham uh, and his response wouldn't have been, here I am. Here I am. Abraham, here I am. Abraham in the middle of the, here I am. Like what? That's the response. Yes, sir. What can I do for you? At your beck and call. Like Abraham was incredible. Here I am, says Abraham. Then he, God said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. No small talk, no pleasantries, no how are you, no like how things going. God goes straight and says, take now your son, your only son, Isaac. Every time Abraham received a test from God, they got a little bit higher, and this is the highest of them all. And I want to point out something to you right now. This is just a little bit of Bible, like, FAQs about how the Bible works. If you're ever reading the Bible, you will notice certain words are in italics in the Bible. Have you noticed that? Do you know why certain words are in italics? Can you see what word is in italics up there on the screen? Okay, I highlight it right here. The word son. When you see a word in italics, what does that mean? Anybody know? It doesn't mean emphasis. It actually means sort of the opposite. It means it's actually not there. It means when it was written in Hebrew, that word is not there, but it was written in English to give meaning because we wouldn't understand it otherwise. But literally the way this was written, it didn't say take now your son, your only son Isaac. It said take now your son, your only Isaac. But to us to be like, what's your only Isaac? But, but Abraham would have understood it. So for us, anything in italics is given to clarify or explain. Take now your son, your only Isaac. I told you a minute ago, what does Isaac mean? Isaac's name had specific meaning. It was very important. What was Isaac? What is the meaning of Isaac? Laughter. Take now your son. Take your only laughter in life. The only thing that makes you get out of bed in the morning. The only reason that you look forward to the sun rising the next day. The only thing that puts a smile on your face and Sarah's face. You know that thing? That thing that's the center of your life? That before you had this, life wasn't worth living? And now you have it and life is perfect? Take that and kill it. The thing that you waited your whole life for, kill it. If I'm Abraham, if you're Abraham, God, everything I have is yours, but not Isaac. Like anything. Take, you want my money? Take my money. You want the house? Take the house. I already gave Ishmael. Take Sarah. Take her. Take, let her go. Like, let her. Like, what do you want? Take anything. But don't take Isaac. Don't take my only joy. Don't take the only thing that puts a smile on my face. God is too much. I will die. I will die if I had to give up Isaac. And it's almost like, doesn't God kind of like rub it in his face? What's, what's the, the part here that God rubs it in his face a little bit? Where he says, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Why? Like, it's just take Isaac and go. But take Isaac. Who Isaac? Oh, the only one. As if it's like, this. yeah, I know that one. The one that you love. You know what God is saying to him right here? What God is saying to Abraham. Saying, remember the person that you left the land for? And remember the person that you left your father for? Remember the person you got rid of Ishmael for? And remember the person you did the circumcision for? You remember all that? You remember all that? You remember all that? You remember all that? I want you to get rid of that one the one that you love, the one you spent your whole life for. And in a way, God is kind of challenging, like, I want to see, do you love him more than me? And I listen to that, and I'm like, that's not really a fair question. Like, God, if you want to know, does Abraham love you? Ask him, Abraham, do you love me? Abraham would say, yes, I do. And he would say, I love you so much, God. And I will sing to you, and I will praise you, and I will tell the whole world how great you are. But that's not the kind of love 
that God is looking for, the kind of love God's looking for, I'll give you a couple of verses, John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's an action love. It's a sacrificial love. It says it again in 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. True love is willing to pay the price, is willing to make the sacrifice. And the cost here, the sacrifice for Abraham is everything that you love in life. So I say it this way. God calls us to give up everything. But the reason he does that in order to give us more. You see, God, God wasn't very good at math. God has this unique kind of math. And in God's math, when you have a lot and then you give it all up, you get more. So in God's math, like in my math, one minus one equals zero. But in God's math, if I have one and I give it up, I get two. See how God's math works? One minus one equals two. And two minus two equals five. And three minus three equals 758. It doesn't go one by one. It's exponential. You have a little bit in your hands. You offer it up. You have more. You offer it up more. And the more you offer, the more you receive in return. There was a little boy one time. was a bunch of people, 5,000 men who was hungry. He had five loaves and two pieces, five pieces of bread, two pieces of fish. He offered up those five pieces of bread, two pieces of fish. And what he got back was way more than he offered up. He gave up five plus two, but he got back way more than seven. Okay, it ended up feeding 5,000. That's how God math works. Abraham, you have everything. That's Isaac. Now you must get rid of Isaac. You must let go of Isaac. You must sacrifice everything in order to have more. See how God works? Maybe sometimes the reason that we have so little in life is because we give up so little. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Maybe sometimes the reason that we struggle and we say we don't have enough, maybe it's not that we don't have enough, maybe it's that we don't give enough. And maybe if we gave a little more of our time, our money, our talents, maybe if we sacrificed more, maybe we'd have more. That's what Abraham teaches us right here. Let's keep going. I want to go quickly through here. Genesis 2, 22, verse 3. We're going verse by verse right here. God told him that in verse 2, offer up your son. Boom, instantaneous obedience, verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two, took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Verse 2 said, offer up your son. Verse 3 says he rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took his son with him. What strikes you about that? Abraham seems kind of callous, doesn't he? Like God tells us easy things and we're like, why God? And like, let's fast and pray for a year about it. And like, you know, and we negotiate and we discuss and it's like the most difficult thing. And then God tells Abraham like the hardest thing in the whole wide world. And Abraham's like, okay. And he just gets up and does it. Was Abraham cold? Was Abraham mechanical? Was he callous? I don't think so. The text may not tell us, but I believe that Abraham, this was the toughest night of Abraham's life. And the reason why I can say that with confidence, that Abraham didn't just take it in one ear and start and do this, because Abraham, every step of the way, we see that Abraham was not an emotionless monster. Like Abraham was the one who didn't want to hurt his dad's feelings by leaving him in, 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 in Ur. Okay, Abraham was the guy who felt bad for Hagar and Ishmael. Abraham was always the one who like struggled with these hard decisions and he didn't want to hurt Sarah's feelings. He didn't want to hurt, like that wasn't Abraham. So why here we see that Abraham instantaneously? Well, I'm gonna tell you the principle. Okay, and then we'll go back and I'll tell you why I believe this principle. I believe that Abraham spent this entire night in prayer. I don't believe that Abraham slept one wink this night. I don't believe that Abraham just took it in one ear and out the other. I believe that Abraham all night was, why God? And how come God? And I'll trust you, God, but explain it to me and show me why. And God, like I understood 20, chapter 21, I understood why Ishmael had to go. Like we can kind of make sense of Ishmael, he was not the right one. Son of the flesh, not son of the promise. But why Isaac? Like you're the one who told me Isaac's gonna live. He's the son of the promise. Like, you're the one who gave him to me. I don't understand this. And I think Abraham all night wrestled with God, wrestled with God, wrestled with God. Because Abraham learned the principle. 
that when you have a problem, when you have a confusion, when you have a trial, Abraham learned what to do with it. You don't run, you run to God, not from God. Abraham learned to run to God, not from God. And I think Abraham spent all night running to God because as hard as it is to have a painful, painful challenge like this, this painful test, you know what's harder? When there's a painful test with no explanation. Ishmael had an explanation. Isaac has no explanation. I think Abraham all night wrestled with God in order to get it. Now, why do I say that? Okay, as I told you a minute ago, you can see from his past behavior that it wouldn't be like his character to just kind of let it go easily. But I want to go to the text right here, and I want to compare two verses, the two verses that I just showed you. I want to compare verse 22, I'm sorry, chapter 22, verse 2, and then chapter 22, verse 3. So let's look at the, the, the first verse, verse 2. God told Abraham, go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Okay, that's verse 2. Now look at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and went to the place of which God had told him. What happened? In verse 2, God said, mountain of which I shall tell you. In verse 3, it says the mountain of which I had told you. So what happened between verse 2 and verse 3? Well, that's what I'm saying is that Abraham spent this night in prayer and he didn't let go of God. And just because the scripture doesn't tell us, like don't get confused. Like sometimes we, we read the Bible and we were like, well, how come it doesn't, the Bible doesn't tell you every little thing that happened. Like if someone said, what happened on Sunday, April 14th? You may say, I went to church and then I went out to lunch. That doesn't mean that nothing else happened in between. Okay, it just, it's just what you point out. So clearly stuff happened that isn't written about in the text. And this night, I believe Abraham wrestled with God. And he didn't sleep this night until God had not only told him the mountain. Watch now, I'm going to go out on a limb right here. That God had convinced Abraham that giving up Isaac was the best thing he could do. I don't think Abraham went to the mountain like, I think Abraham went to that mountain with confidence. And he went to the mountain with confidence knowing that God was about to do something great. He may not know what God is going to do great but we have reason to believe that he may have known. Let's go to the next verse. Verse four and five. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to these young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Question. Did Abraham know that Isaac was gonna come back alive? Like, y'all know the story, right? So this is, I'm not, this is not like a spoiler alert. Abra Isaac doesn't die, okay? So just so we're clear, okay? <laughs> Isaac does not die. Did Abraham know that or not know that? Did Abraham know it or not know it? I mean, it says right here that we will come back to you alive. And I used to always read this and be like, well, I mean, he's probably just kind of saying that like, like if you're about to commit like a homicide, like maybe that's like the, a good cover, okay? So you don't just kind of say like, I'm gonna kill him. So, so maybe he's just kind of, you know, yeah, 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 we'll be, you know, right back. But I don't think so. And I know another verse in the scripture that I'll show you that makes me believe that Abraham was 1,000% confident that Isaac was coming back alive. This is Hebrews chapter 11. St. Paul says this in verse 17. He says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who he had received, and he who had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able... And that's a highlighted verse. That's an important verse. For It's a life verse. Concluding that God was able. I don't even care about the rest of it, but we'll read it. But the important part is concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. I think that Abraham went up that mountain. Did he know that God was going to, like Abraham's going to lift the knife and then God's going to catch his hand? Did he know that? No. Abraham thought 100%, I'm going to go up the mountain and I'm going to kill Isaac. Then he thought 100% that somehow Isaac is coming down alive. Because God told me that he's going to come down alive. Does that mean you're not going to kill him? No, I'm going to kill him. So how's he going to come back alive? Because dead people don't rise. I don't have the faintest idea. But he concluded that God was able. I love that word concluded. Because you know what concluded means? Concluded means not by faith alone. Not just like this blind optimism. Not naive. He concluded. He thought it out. Rational process. And he said to himself, God, is God able to bring life from death? Well, Sarah's dead, and I'm dead. Like, she's 100, and I'm 115. And somehow, life came from these dead bodies. 
So if God is able to bring life from here, then he's able to bring life even from a dead body lying on the altar top of a mountain. And just so you see how, 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 forgive the expression, insane this is. Like, you and me wouldn't believe that a dead person come back to life. And we've read the story of Lazarus. We've read the story of the widow of Nain. Like, we've read this story. We know all the miracles. Like, we know about Easter and Good Friday. Like, we know how that works. He didn't know any of that stuff. There was no such thing as a dead person who had come to life. But his faith, Abraham's faith. I'm going to show you how great Abraham is. Abraham trusted not that the dead can be raised, because there was no reason to believe that. But he trusted that God keeps his word. See how beautiful that is? Abraham's faith was not, yeah, you know what? I think God can bring, yeah, and I think if God did this, and maybe this way, and maybe, no, no, no. Abraham, do dead people rise? No way in a million years. Abraham, does God keep his word? Absolutely. So if God said he's going to rise, I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to rise. Because God said it. His trust was not in the process, but in the one who promised. His trust was not that somehow the dead people can be raised. His trust was that if God said that Isaac is going to come back down this mountain, then Isaac is going to come back down the mountain. And it may take a year. It may take a lifetime. It may take an instant. I don't know but he's willing to take God at his word. That's why Abraham was such a great man because he was the first guy, like I said, to take God at his word. If God said it, so be it. Let me pause right here and slow down. And let me ask you if you can do the same thing. If God says that he can bring good out of your trial, are you willing to believe him? Are you gonna look at the trial and be like, well, I've never seen good come from a trial like this and you focus on the trial and I don't know about the trial. Or are you gonna take God at his word and God said? So if I say, for example, you have an illness, and I say that illness can be a blessing in your life. Can you take God at his word? That illness can bring blessing? If I say to you that whatever disaster, okay, whatever, whatever catastrophe that is the end of the world, and I tell you it's not the end of the world, it actually is a new start for you. Can you take God at his word and say that? I tell you, you don't have to be married to be happy. You say, no, no I gotta be married to be happy. There's no way. And it says, God says you don't. Are you willing to take God at his word? That doesn't apply to married people, by the way. Okay. Married people, you got to be married to be happy, okay? <laughs> you trust that whatever sadness has happened in your life, that you can, your life can still go on? Abraham did. Because Abraham did. He got up, rose up early in the morning, got the donkey, got the boy, got the servants. Started that journey up that mountain. Let's keep going through our story right here. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. Can you feel the heaviness? Like, can you feel it? It's heartbreaking. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Abraham's always here I am. Here I am, my son. And he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Pause right here. What is Isaac saying? Isaac is how old did I tell you right now? 15, 20 years old. You think Isaac knows what's going on? You think Isaac has a clue? Isaac's like, okay, dad, we've come up this mountain like a thousand times. It's always fire, knife, animal. Fire, knife, animal. We got fire, we got knife, and then meat. You think Isaac knew what was going on? Absolutely he knew. And this was like his, uh, hey dad, are you sure about this one? I remember one time when Michael, my son, was young. Okay, he had to get an, an endoscopy, okay, the tube that goes down this way which is like a very routine thing. It's like a nothing thing. He had reflexing, he had to do it. It's a nothing thing. But he had to be uh, uh, anesthesia, like because they stick a tube down his throat. So what was he, like six months old, something like that, okay? So he's there on the table, all right? And like they're trying to put the thing, the mask, to like, you know, put him to sleep. And he's, of course, he's fidgeting. He's six months old and like he's, you know, he's putting the thing. And they're like, excuse me, sir, can you hold the mask? So of course I'm like, sure. And there I am. And I'm like, in my boy's mind, 
Like, my dad is killing me. Like, I'm serious. You know what I mean? Like, that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Because, like, the boy is dying in his own mind, okay? Like, we know he's not dying, but, like, he's dying. And who's the one who's doing this to me? You? You're supposed to be on my side. Like, you're supposed to be my father. And that was gut-wrenching. Me and Marianne sat in that waiting room for what seemed an eternity. It was probably, like, 15 minutes. We didn't speak, okay? We couldn't speak because we just put our son to death, you know? And I think about Abraham right here, my son, my only son. And his son says, Dad, verse 8, and Abraham said, my son, God will provide. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Isaac knew 100% what was happening. Why didn't Isaac take him? Like here you got Isaac, a strapping young 15 to 20 year old young man. And here you got the old guy, the geezer. Okay, you know what I mean? Like the, like run, <laughs> run, for your, run for your life. He's not gonna catch you or take him down, put him on the altar. You know what I'm saying? Like why Isaac, why Isaac went so willingly? Why Isaac went willingly? How did Isaac learn how to submit himself entirely to his father? Well, he had a good example. He learned from Abraham, who submitted himself entirely to God. Monkey see, monkey do. Like Isaac did exactly what Abraham did. And Isaac, by the way, again, we know he's coming back alive. Isaac, in this story in particular, is a foreshadowing of someone else, of a son, an only son, who was the son of promise, who was supposed to be the answer to all the problems of the universe, who came down, carried wood up a mountain, died, and came back down alive. And that person is Jesus Christ, okay? Who, just like Isaac, gave himself up willingly. No one forced him, okay? Christ gave himself up willingly, just like Isaac did, goes up that mountain. All right, let's keep moving here. We got a lot more to go here, sorry. I'll move quicker, I promise. Verse nine, then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. I imagine, like imagine the scene. I imagine this, like Abraham again is an old guy and putting one stone and arranging it carefully, like trying to extend the time with his son as long as possible. But everyone knows what's happening and everyone realizes once that final stone is on the altar that Isaac willingly jumps up on there. Abraham could not have tied him if Isaac wanted to escape. He ties him up there. Verse 10. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And I think all of heaven was on the edge of their seat. I think the angels and the archangels and all the saints up there were watching in disbelief at what one human who loves God is willing to do. No way this Abraham, no way Abraham is going, there's no way Abraham's gonna do it. There's no human being who can love God that much and sacrifice that much. No way. All of heaven is. And just at the right time, verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. That's his only response. Here I am. Verse 12. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horn. So Abraham went, took the ram, offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place. The Lord will provide as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Abraham lifts his hand. God comes in at the last second and delivers Isaac. And Abraham calls that place. Remember in the beginning when Isaac said, where are we going to get the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide. And then Abraham ends up calling that place. The Lord has provided. When you, at the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is an important lesson for us. God provides at the mountain of sacrifice, never before it. God provides at the mountain of sacrifice, never before it. God doesn't provide when you're sitting on the couch saying, okay, God, I will, but you provide. God says, no, 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 no. You will, 
and then I'll provide. We want God to provide the answer, the blessing, the solution while we're sitting on the couch, unwilling to sacrifice anything. That's not how it works. And maybe again, maybe some of the reason why God has not provided for some of us is we haven't gone up to the mountain. We're not willing to go up there. We're too scared that he might not provide. But I'm telling you, God always provides at the mountain, but never before it. Wrap up the story right here. Verse 15 through 19. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son. Oh, by myself I have sworn. This is the first time we read the word sworn. Before that it was always promise. Now it's sworn. Abraham has graduated. He's defeated Bowser. Abraham now, that's it. That's the final test. And now there's no more promising or no more foreshadowing. Now God says, I have sworn by myself. Blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. And your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. And you can write at the end of that, and they lived happily ever after. That's it for Abraham. He passed the test. He graduated. That's the story of Abraham. Abraham's story is incredible. Abraham's story, to me, no more inspirational story in the entire scriptures. Because it's a man who was willing to be separate, a man who's willing to sacrifice everything, a man who never said no to God. He took God at his word. And did God come through? Oh, you better believe it. That every step of the way, Abraham faced a higher challenge. And every time he passed it, he got a greater reward. And start to finish, there was nothing that Abraham held on to when it comes to his life. He was willing to let go of his parents. He was willing to let go of his land. Willing to let go of his comfort zone. Willing to let go of his money. Willing to let go of his firstborn. Willing to let go of even the son of promise, Isaac. And that's why in the end, God said, there's nothing I will withhold from you. Final thoughts on Abraham. If you go back in Abraham's life, now you know the whole story. And let's say you were like Abraham's neighbor or someone who's like witnessing the story from the outside. I think every step of the way, every time Abraham obeyed God, you would have said about Abraham, he's making a bad decision. You would have said, what a fool. Abraham left Ur to go to this desert called Canaan. And you would have said, Abraham, bad choice. Big mistake. What are you thinking? You left New York City to go to the middle of nowhere. You left a flourishing economy, and you made like the dumbest decision anyone has ever made. Abraham said, I'll go with God. And then Abraham would have gone a little bit further. Okay, remember that situation with Lot where it was him and Lot and he had to choose. And he said, okay, Lot, you choose whichever side you want. I'll take the other side. And you would have said, Abraham, you're weak. You're weak. Why are you being so weak, being so passive? Be proactive. You should take the land of Sodom. It's better than the land over there. You should not let Lot push you around. You're weak. Yeah, I trust in God. Trust in God. You're weak. Abraham said, I'll go with God. And then you'd see him today taking his son Isaac up the mountain. And he'd say, Abraham, you're committing suicide. This is the end of your life. If you do this, Abraham, you are destroying your life and Sarah's life. And this is a horrible decision. But every time, Abraham would have said the same thing. I'll take God over you. I'll take God over you. I'll take God over your logic. I'll take God over my plan. I'll take God. I'll go with, I'll roll the dice on God and come what may. No wonder Abraham, if you look on his tombstone, has the greatest thing written on anyone's tombstone ever. The only one I could say is close is David. God said about David, a man after my own heart, but look what God said about Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Abraham. Who is Abraham? Friend of God. God says about this man, this is my friend. This is the guy that was loyal to me. I will be loyal to him. 
This is the guy who didn't withhold from me. I will withhold nothing from this man. Now your turn. I told you in the beginning, I don't think God wants to bless Abraham any more than he wants to bless me and you. I don't think the difference is on the God end. I think the difference is on the R end. Is how many of us are truly like Abraham, willing to separate, willing to sacrifice, willing to let go. Abraham held on to nothing. And because he held on to nothing, he received everything. I get afraid that sometimes I hold on to things tight on this earth. And as much as I'm holding on, as much as I am short-circuiting God's ability and plan to bless my life. So you ask yourself, what are you holding on to? What is it that you're gripping a little too tightly these days? Like I said in the sermon today, for those here during liturgy, it can even be good things. Like Isaac was not a bad thing that Abraham had to let go. Sometimes it's a relationship. Sometimes it is a son or a daughter that we're just holding a little bit too tightly. We've got to let go. Sometimes it's a spouse. Sometimes, sometimes it's, a, it's, it's a dream. Sometimes it's a, it's a plan. It's a five-year plan. It's a 10-year plan. Sometimes it's, it's this idea of where my life should be or where it shouldn't be. Like, what is it you're holding on to? And anything that you hold on to, I'm telling you, the reward for letting go will always be greater than the cost, but it'll never precede it. The reward will always be greater, but it'll never precede it. So we need to learn how, like Abraham, to let go, to sacrifice, to separate. And then we'll see the reward that God has in store for us. I'm going to invite our music team to come back up here on stage and finish us off here with a nice song. But as they come up here, I'm asking you to think to yourself, what is it that God is challenging you to let go of? And what is it that you, like Abraham, need to say, I trust that God is able. I trust that God is able. What do you need to conclude that God is able? Is it life from the dead? Is it joy from the sadness? Is it contentness from the, from the, from the lacking? What is it that you need to... Time, it's time for you to believe that what God says in his word, he is able to perform in my life. Let's stand together. This is my desire to honor you, Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. All I have within me, I give you praise. All that I adore is in you. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm Worship you. 
every moment I'm awake. Lord, have your way in me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, as we stand in front of you and, and, and we contemplate the great sacrifice that Abraham made, and Lord, we're reminded of your sacrifice that you gave up your only begotten son and you let go of everything for us. Lord, we can't see that sacrifice and, and not feel ashamed at all the little things that we refuse to let go of for you. Lord, I pray that during these coming days as we approach the most holy and awesome of days that there is, Lord, there be nothing, Lord, that we would hold back from you. Nothing inside our hearts, nothing inside our homes. But like anything, Lord, that you just, you just point, Lord, you point, you just make it clear. You just say that, that's what needs to go. That's what we need to let go of. And Lord, we promise that like Abraham, we will, we will say, here I am, Lord. And we will take action. We will sacrifice, Lord, because there's nothing in this world that we want to hold on to. There's nothing worth holding on to, Lord. We only want you. We want you in our homes and you in our hearts and you in our lives, and we want you for all of eternity, Lord. So I pray that you would give each and every single one of us the strength that we need to be able to let go of the thing that you know that we need to let go of. We love you with all of our hearts, Lord, and we thank you so much that the reward of faith always outweighs the cost, and we just pray that you would help us to, to, to get through the, the initial phase to get to that blessing that you want to give for us. We ask these things in the mighty name of your Son, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.